Thanks again for downloading this week's Weekly Curio Podcast. I'm Tom Britton from Freak Show and Tell. And I'm Jeff Wagg, curator of the College of Curiosity. As always, we'll start with the first half of our weekly puzzle. So, simple one. What is the only vegetable that isn't cooked, canned, or frozen? This is a very common vegetable, so don't be going to South America and looking stuff up. You have eaten this. Can't be cooked. Can't can't be be canned. Or frozen. Or frozen. Mm -hmm. What is the only thing more frightening than a regular crocodile? A crocodile that can climb trees. (laughs) The worst puzzle of the week ever. (laughs) You know, it's it's fascinating, but uh, a study was just done, and they have shown that several species of crocodiles, including the American crocodile, which is found in southern Florida, and some species of alligator, can and regularly do climb trees. Now... Where did they just learn this from? I mean... We have shared our entire <laughs> history with crocodiles. Right, They yeah. were here 100, long 200 million to, before us, right? So uh, the proto-humans, the human, the humanoid, the erectus, the sapien, your Aunt Edna, <laughs> my grandpa... I'm, fr- I'm from Louisiana, my wife is from right. Mobile. Some alligators We definitely there. shared some history <laughs> with alligators. And now, Billy Bob looked up... Hey, look at that. Hey, hey, go get a scientist. (laughs) Quick. What the heck? So, yeah. That's amazing that we're still discovering what I would think would be a simple, does it swim, does it fly, does it climb a tree, what does it eat? These are the first, can I eat it? These are the first five questions I have (laughs) for any new species. So, you know, of course, the story makes some sense. Now, you know, the media hears this and they're like, crocodiles have suddenly learned to climb trees. Well, (laughs) You know, no, of course not. Crocodiles have always climbed trees, um, and people knew this. Anyone who lived with crocodiles would sometimes see them in the trees, but this is the first time a study has been done of this. So crocodiles will climb trees. They'll go about six feet high, and um, we think it's so that they can temperature regulate. You know, they're, they're cold-blooded animals, so if they can get out on a, you know, if you're in a river with trees on both sides, like in the Everglades. Yeah, there's no dunes. There's, yeah, no, there's no hills place in to Florida at all. I remember biking. Right. I in Orlando. There's no hills. So they can climb up on a mangrove and hang out on a branch and get a lot of sun. But what's fascinating is um, they don't have a body capable of climbing trees. This is almost like that old bumblebee thing where bumblebees mm-hmm. can't fly, which isn't true. Bumblebees can fly. But there's a corollary in, in Australia. There's a kangaroo that's a tree-dwelling yes, kangaroo yes. that is awful at climbing trees Yes, because it has no pressure. There's no competition, no evolutionary yep. pressure to get better at it. It regularly falls out. Yep. It, 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 <laughs> and if sure you watch it, you find a video. The Australian tree-climbing kangaroo, and it just set it to Benny Hill music. <laughs> it, it looks awful. And so I guess, yeah, I guess if you can whittle your way up the yeah. tree. Nothing's going to stop an alligator that's on his way up right. a tree. And the way they climb up a tree, so imagine this. You have an alligator, right, very low to the ground. Their arms go sideways out of their body. Um, they will walk, you know, lope along, actually, but they, they don't have legs like a dog or like, you know. A, it's like they're putting their hands out flat and then doing a push-up. Yes. It's really remarkable how strong they have to be ratio-wise they're to lift themselves strong. off the ground. So the way they climb trees is if you took a rubber alligator and, like, climbed a tree like you were playing with it, that's how they climb trees. They just go right the hell up the tree. Just sheer strength and claws and... And patience. It takes them a very long time. Uh, Alligators and crocodiles have now been found 30 feet up. Now, that's unusual. That's not where they want to be. That's a cold alligator. uh, Keep going, keep going, keep going. And um, 
So yeah, you you thought you were safe, you know, an alligator's chasing you, you could climb the tree. Yeah, and you probably are because they can't climb very fast. But you know, the other thing that people don't realize is that uh, these things run 40 miles an hour. Yeah, if they're chasing you, they don't chase you for long. They'll chase you either to throw a bluff with a lot of noise to move you yeah. along, or they catch you, and, and you it ends one way or the other. Yeah. Now, from what I understand, they don't change direction very well, so you should kind of not run in a straight line. Also, it's funnier if they do catch you for me watching if you run in a zigzag <laughs> yeah. first. <Yes>. Hilarious. <laughs> There's another strange thing with these, though, that they've just discovered. This is a, a little older. This is from last year. They use tools. So not only are alligators and crocodiles climbing trees, we found them using tools. We are so screwed. The tools they're using are sticks, you know, the standard tool. I'd be scared if it were like a backhoe. And this is how they use them. Uh, many places where crocodiles... Yeah. Many <laughs> places where... Starting it up. <laughs> oh, crap. The alligator's digging up the roses oh, we're again. We're in trouble now. They, the, they use these sticks. Um, they, they live in places where sticks are actually rare. I know that sounds crazy, but... And like, say, the Everglades in the mangrove swamps, there are not that many sticks in the water. And there's a lot of competition for birds to get these sticks because they, want to, they need them for nesting. So the crocodiles have figured out that if they grab a couple of sticks and kind of hide behind them, the birds will come for the stick and then the crocodile will come for the bird. And they will actually see birds and grab a couple sticks and kind of inch their way over to the bird saying, hey, here's some nice sticks for your nest. And the bird swoops down, and their lunch. A few new things about alligators and crocodiles, and, uh, you know, they haven't started using cell phones yet, but it's only a matter of time. The call is coming from inside <laughs> the swamp. <laughs> a neuroscientist has invented an app that improves your vision. Uh, is this something you install in your head? It's uh, funny, because you, you do put it, it's an iOS app you can download, and it helps to train you for seeing further. And if you have any questions about how this works, I mean down to minutia, we're going to put a link in the show notes for a, a website called reddit.com. It's called the front page of the internet, Reddit. Yes. This is what I love about, particularly Reddit. I am a Redditor. I'm on there fairly regularly, mm -hmm. every other day at the, at, the, at the least, I would say, every other day. Here's the cool thing about our modern world. Article comes out, someone finds it, posts it to Reddit. That's what you do, is you say, here's some stuff I found. It's a social sharing site. Yes. Someone in the comments section, which is where the activity really happens on that website, says, I don't get it. What do you mean? I have a macrodegenerative condition. How, it's physical. It's physiological. Yeah. How does an app... Here comes the author of the piece. At, he's a Redditor. <laughs> wow. He's a, it's a huge website. So he goes, oh, let me explain. Let me get my notes. And he answers that question. Someone says, well, okay, hang on. Uh, Follow-up question. Here comes the neuroscientist <laughs> who wrote the right the author shot him an email. That guy either had an account or I think made one real quick. And he starts plugging away with these rather lengthy, and some of it's copy and pasted from notes the journalist had. Sure. So, but also I'm imagining that journalist probably types at a good clip. But between the two of them, you've got a good conversation going with dummies like me. <laughs> who are like, what? An app for vision, huh? Then people who are more learned students in op optometry school, doctors of mm -hmm. that field, start to really drill down into the science of it with questions or confirmation. Because you'll see an answer from the neuroscientist, but it could still be bunk. Right. These guys could be a hoax, right? Sure. Now here comes an ophthalmologist who has a good reputation on the website, hmm. which would sound like a silly thing to have. Who cares what I right. think of you on mm -hmm. some website where they 
post naked pictures of girls and bonobo <laughs> videos and fart music <laughs> mashups. Kind of stuff, yeah. But in this case, if you are regularly known, it does make me trust you a little more because you yeah. certainly didn't get on this website six years ago to pull off a hoax today. Not unless you're very clever. <laughs> you are, and if you are, I'll just believe you because yeah. you're smarter than I am. <laughs> so the story here isn't necessarily the app, which I do think is also interesting, but it's more any questions you have, go read through those comments just because I want to give you evidence that once in the history of the universe, a comment section was useful. Yeah. Well, you know, it, there there have been apps to improve your vision before. This is an old scam, you know, the clear vision method and whatever. Yeah, the one that helped me method. date hot Russian girls in my area did not <laughs> yeah. work. You know, there's this idea that you could see better if you exercise your eyes. Yeah. But briefly glancing at this app, this isn't what this is. What this is doing is it's retraining your brain. Yes, which is most of your vision. We could do a whole big segment on that. But uh, check this out. This is very cool and could save a lot of people a lot of hassle. I found something for the children. <laughs> That's a little frightening. I, I don't know if I would consider us exactly a family-friendly podcast. Pretty much. I try not to curse, which for me is a real... That's a real hardship. You guys don't even know. <laughs> Mouth like a sailor, this cat. Uh, but I did find something accidentally. I don't know if they just dumbed it down so much it ended up childlike. But it isn't insulting. It just felt like something you should show to an eight or nine-year-old. It's this idea that certain sea creatures will steal poison capsules <laughs> from other sea creatures. Ah, yes. It's a fascinating process. This little fish, which I've seen in aquariums, goes up to the jellyfish on which it feeds. Mm -hmm. And the jellyfish has these little capsules that contain its stinging bits. This is a New York Times uh, article, by the way, or video, I should say, yeah. on the New York Times uh, website. These capsules burst. When they do, he has a mu the fish has a mucus barrier to protect him. Yeah. Then he eats it. His stomach, I'm saying his, it's a male fish. Yeah, uh, this dude, his stomach <laughs> doesn't digest the capsule, but also has a bit of lining to protect him. Yeah. He's got more than just the mucus going on. Its body then moves it to the outer ring of the fish. That's crazy. And since it doesn't have the mechanism whereby the jellyfish popped the capsule to activate the fun poison, mm -hmm. it has muscles that pop the capsule oh, once it's put it into place. I find that absolutely amazing. And if you want a way to explain that to the to the children, just show them this video because it's a kind of a crudely drawn but very interesting presentation. Just some fun thing they could do a biology report on or whatever. But I like the idea of animals repurposing, yeah. turning food into weapons also is kind of cool. Yep, they do that. Um, as fireflies, there's a lot of glowing animals that only glow because they eat fireflies and they, they store the luciferin and luciferase. So, yeah, this is... a. Uh, Evolution does stuff like this. Over time, solutions are found, and theft is a solution. It's a, and a very complicated solution, yeah. too, if you think about it. The number of steps in that process, you have to first counter the attack, then right. not digest the weapon, right. then move the weapon to the correct... Because it's useless in your gut. Yeah, that's the thing I don't I understand. I could eat jellyfish with sushi, okay, right. but then it's just coming out, right? So the moving it into position and then putting it on the outside of the fish doesn't work by itself. Yeah, unless the fish gets eaten and then it's too late. Yeah, there's now <laughs> a musculature has to evolve yeah. to activate in a different way. That's nuts. <laughs> it's crazy. That's insane. So many moving parts, which is why you can spend your entire life reading books of evolutionary biology and just having your mind blown over and over and over and yep. over again. And it's it's all about time. You know, we just cannot fathom 
that much time and that how much change can happen. In That's that the factor time. that you can't calculate. You just the, can't. the billions and billions, and not towards a goal. That fish right. was not evolving to use weapons. It was <laughs> no. merely responding. So nature had all the time in the world to do whatever it wanted. Yes. And we just happen to think on a much smaller scale. And in my case, with little or no, I'm a trained fire eater. <laughs> I am not a trained An evolutionary, evolutionary biologist. <laughs> so also me being a dummy reading all the pop books. Wow, it's amazing. Look at that. <laughs> I'm sure Richard Dawkins is considerably less impressed by this particular fish. I think, yeah, I, I think he would think it was cool. But right, he would understand it much more than we would. But his fire eating is crap. Yes, I'm sure. <laughs> So it seems the person who invented QuickTime and Web TV now wants to speed up our cell phone 1,000 times faster. I'm okay with that. He can do that. <laughs> uh, this is Steve Perlman, who we were just Googling, worked for Microsoft and Apple, yeah. developed Web TV, which I, I thought he developed on his own and then sold to Microsoft, but maybe it was an in-house project for yeah, Microsoft. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, not a complete failure, Web TV. A lot of grandmas used it back in the day. My yep. grandma was a big fan of her Web TV. Mm-hmm. Didn't want to give it up when we tried to switch her to the cutting edge of AOL at the time. Yeah. And then QuickTime. I still use QuickTime now. Sure. The best way to do a quick clip on videos yep. for, for any sort of purpose. Absolutely fantastic. <clears throat> and now he's got a thing called the P-Cell, which is going to work. They describe it as if you're throwing stones into a pond. Yeah, it's based on ripples somehow. I don't entirely understand it. So what was... No- yeah, I read it like four times, too. So what is normally interference, which is you have cell towers overlapping each other. This is not good. It's necessary, but not good. That's signal the noise and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> and you were pointing out the cell towers based on Hedy Lamarr. Yeah, right. Signal hopping uh, and yeah, all signal that hopping still. And she, she got that World idea War from II. player pianos, believe it or not. That's a whole other story. So we have this thing where they, when they collide, they create noise or distortion of signal. He has a system, he claims, where those overlaps strengthen the signal. Couple that with the fact that everyone's cell phone is now a true transceiver. It's passing through data from others. Yeah. It's a little bit like torrenting, but not entirely. But So everyone's helping everyone else, and then things are much faster. And up to a thousand times from the overlapping, and this is, it, it's a wired article, we'll put a link, and if you can find an academic article, send it to us and we'll add it to the show yes. notes. I'd love to find something where they really drill down to this technology as much as possible. The wired article covers a couple of things that I think is interesting. One, you need a new SIM card, which is not a big deal. No. A new type of SIM card, though. So not just a matter of pop one out, pop a new one in. So phones have to be designed slightly differently, mm-hmm. or at least have to have the slightly different adapter. Yeah, sorry, them. Verizon people, this isn't for you. And you have to build new towers, <laughs> which is problem. a whole problem. Yeah. But I can imagine a developing country. So we have latent technology because we invented it. Right. We And if we didn't invent it, we very quickly adopted it and implemented it because of our, our wealth. Mm-hmm. So we have stuff here in America that's a legacy that we're Absolutely stuck true. with. It's expensive to dig yeah. it all up and start. And it works well enough. In European countries, they move a little they have a little faster because yep. it went there later. And, and now in Korea and in burgeoning markets, uh, Vietnam and China, where they're no longer developing or third world countries, they're really coming onto the player stage. Mm-hmm. They have even faster cell service. Right. Like Kuwait doesn't even have landlines. They just have cell service. Yeah. So mm-hmm. imagine now in the Congo, where they've made this big discovery of some minerals there. Yes. If that country suddenly becomes wealthy, which it looks like it might, if so, that region rather, mm-hmm. suddenly becomes wealthy... 
they'll get this. Right. Because or they could get it's an right. option for them because they're starting with a blank slate. Right. And the then uh, can you imagine being jealous of the Congo? Uh, yeah. Well, that's, and it, that's something that hasn't happened in our lifetime. And, and oh, I want to live there. Ironically, the minerals they found are these rare earth minerals. Perfect that, for making yeah, stuff. Make the stuff. Yeah. Pregnant women and beluga yes. whales should not handle kitty litter. <laughs> this is true. These are just scientific facts only I know. <laughs> I throw this, this out true. at parties to blank stares <laughs> because of toxoplasmosis. Right. So, so have you ever seen the thing? John Carpenter's, Carpenter's the a thing? remake. I've seen yes. the original too. Yes. The remake's better. Yeah, the and then the remake better. of the remake yeah, is still better than the original. That's true. That's true. In the original, I think the monster was a carrot that mutated. But in uh, in John Carpenter's The Thing, it is an alien that has crashed to Earth, you know, hundred thousand years ago, and the ice they found it. And anyway, well, we are going through global warming now, and ice, very very old ice, is melting. And there's a theory that there are parasites and nasty things in this ice that have been dormant for a very long time, and one of those might be a new toxoplasmosis. So let me back up a bit. Toxoplasmosis is this fascinating protozoa. It has this really bizarre life cycle, normally in mice and cats. So an infected mouse, a mouse gets this thing. When they're infected, the protozoa rewires their brain and makes the mice like the smell of cat urine and therefore like cats. So a mouse will come out and say, Hi, cat, how are you? And the cat will say, I'm hungry, and there's lunch. Because that protozoa can only live the rest of its life cycle in the cat. Right. It could not complete its life cycle it, in the mouse. That's exactly right. It reproduces in cats, and its eggs are actually in the cat's feces, which, believe it or not, mice like to eat. And this can affect humans, which is yes. why... Uh, Pregnant, I was going to say pregnant women, but pregnant men also should stay <laughs> yeah, away from kitty litter. That's right, because there, there's, you know, it's not an uncommon thing, and it's possible that your cat would be infected. You would get toxoplasmosis. Now, it doesn't make you like the smell of cat urine, but it can make you blind. It is not a good thing. Some people think it actually causes schizophrenia, because this thing can rewire brain cells. Well, I heard a, a report last year from a scientist who did show there was an effect on the human brain of mm -hmm. toxoplasmosis, at least an early study, and he thought that, evolutionarily speaking, this made us bolder, more daring, <laughs> more risky and crazy cat ladies, that's where they come from. <laughs> no, he had this idea, though, that it, that yeah. accidental side effect of toxoplasmosis made us once cats... Cats are a species that seems to have domesticated themselves. Right, they're like... They'll uh, unlike most us. things we go after, cats yeah. just sort of showing up and kind of formed a symbiotic relationship. Because mm -hmm. remember, now cats are considered kind of useless and lazy. <laughs> but if you had a granary... Yeah. That hyper-kill instinct that we've bred into them since they became domesticated, they take out a large number of pests that would be spreading various diseases and eating your food. Yes. Important. So that is a very valuable relationship once upon a time. And my cat still occasionally, okay, I'm in Chicago in an apartment building. I'm going to have mice at least in transit through yeah, my apartment. can happen. I don't see them. Yeah, no. I got a mouser, buddy. He goes right after them. <laughs> but evolutionarily speaking, now we have these things and it makes us more likely, possibly, that is in mm -hmm. settled science, it affects the brain how it affects the brain is the debatable part, but it might move us towards. Yes. However, beluga whales, it is so, not giving them a benefit. This is the scary thing now. Um, toxoplasmosis is known in Europe and the U.S. Now they've found it in 10% of beluga whales in the Arctic. It has never been found in the Arctic before. So they're thinking, wow, this is actually in the ice. 
Well, or, or disease barriers. It could be either one. Yeah. It could be the warming of the ocean allows that protozoa That's to move further too. north than it was. What's that called? Plague barrier, disease barrier? Is yeah, a term right. For that. It just can't live past that. Yeah, the, you, you can't live zone. in my environment. Yeah. I can't live in yours, whatever. Now the barriers are getting more gray or like you said, yeah. it could be, uh, it's a cooler story, escaping from the ancient well, that's ice. The, that's the story in the most recent study, is that's their theory, is that the stuff can live in ice, and the ice is melting. And the real scary part, what else is in there? I mean, there could be species in there that we think are extinct or that we never even knew of, and who knows what they could do. And I have the twofold problem. One, it pops out of the ice as this ancient alien right, sure, to yeah. us. And two, the barrier no longer protects us. So right. we could wander down to a species, human, that have never had an immunity because we never lived either when it was or where it was. Right. And now we're all meeting each other at the world's worst cocktail party. That's absolutely true. And, you know, it's going to be an interesting 200 years. Our continuing segment of things we were incorrect about called yes. wrong. <laughs> uh, this one I'm going to do this week. I learned... I. I I'm a classically trained chef, and so in culinary school, a lot of what they have to do is beat out of you what grandma beat into you. <laughs> Sometimes it's correct information, mm-hmm. and part of culinary school is teaching you why you do it that way. Uh-huh. Some of it is things like, hey, if you got bacon grease sitting out, refrigerate it. Oh, eh, yeah. That's tomain. That's tomain. That's a bad, that's a botulism. You don't want to yeah, get you don't know, you don't This want is that. a bad, bad thing. Uh, uh, it's a wonder I'm still alive. <laughs> a misconception you may have is that searing meat seals in moisture. That's what I always thought. Searing meat causes meat to lose moisture. Which kind of makes cooking. sense. So yeah. what searing meat does is a thing called a maillard, or maillard, but it's maillard reaction. Maillard reaction is the point where proteins, starches, or sugars denature. Hmm. Denature is the term you would use for cooking if you didn't think of cooking as heat. So if okay, I make yeah. ceviche, I'm using acid right. to cook. So yes. do finger quotes as you say it, cook. Mm-hmm. The, the meat that's in there, right? You can also use force to denature if you whip cream into whipped cream. I'm oh, using right. force to okay. denature it, to change the molecular what have you. Mm-hmm. Mostly when we denature, we use heat. And when the heat transforms, that's called the Maillard reaction. Huh. Universally in humans, go anywhere in the country in your mind right now, at about 110 to 120 Fahrenheit, we like that sear. Yeah. Uh, picture it I mean, on a steak, but now you move into fish or you move into, you know, you're, you go anywhere you want in the world. You're going to find grains or grilling or yeah. heating. That Maillard reaction, you want to do it, but not to seal it in. You put a nice hot grill, you put your steak on there, you put some nice grill mark, grilladine, you give it a little turn so it's nice oh, yeah. and pretty. Yeah, make an X. That flavor is very important to the human species. My mouth is watering as we're talking about <laughs> yeah, it. I'm going to go have a steak. And then you flip it over to the other side. In fact, if you have a thick cut of meat, if I'm going to put a roast in, I sear all sides, huh. everything. I And not a grayish blue, no, nice, rich, dark caramel colors. Because mm. then when I put that in my pot, that becomes what the French call the fond de foundation, which makes the jus, and there's your rich, hearty gravy or mm. broth. So searing a steak doesn't cause it to uh, seal. It costs it a bit of moisture, you make sure you don't cook it above a medium rare, mm-hmm. depending on the cut of meat. If flank yeah. steak, you go up medium, but you don't overcook it, and that's what prevents loss of moisture is lack of heat. That makes sense, but it's it's very tasty. So I'm gonna I'm gonna reveal how lame I am. Uh, I went by a body shop, and there was a sign outside that said, "At 4:20, we will give you free grass shampoo." 
And I didn't, I was like, that's a strange time to be giving away a, a sample of a grass, shampoo, whatever. I didn't know that 420 had this lingo of, dude, that means marijuana. I had no idea. So, all right, I, even though I lived in Vermont, <laughs> so I lived there as an adult, I perhaps missed out on some of the culture. However, it's actually not true anyway. 420 is not the Los Angeles penal code for marijuana usage, which is what it was called. 420 is the penal code for juvenile disturbance. But 420 was this time that a school picked for everyone to go and stand under a statue of Louis Pasteur and smoke pot. That's its real origin. It actually has nothing to do with legal code. The so, school picked it? Well, I don't think it was the school, but the students at the school picked it. So it was just a random cultural just, thing that it was, started you know, in one spot and spread. Classes ended at 415 or whatever, and said, hey, I'll meet you at 420 under Louis Pasteur. And then that, then that spread, and then 420 became the word for the substance they were using. It, it ends up being the same thing. 420 does mean marijuana, but not because of the penal code. And thank you very much for spending a little time with Jeff and myself this week on Weekly Curio. If you think about it, you could share your podcast tastes on Facebook. Yeah, that would be nice. Twitter, Instagram, send some people our way. Particularly like-minded if you're in a club or a group or you work in an industry where people may need a little little pop science, a little fun yeah. thing to get them through the day. Please send them our way. Word of mouth, always the best advertising. Until next week, I'm Tom Britton. And I'm Jeff Wagg. We end with the answer to this week's puzzle. Okay, so which vegetable, common vegetable, can you not cook, freeze, or what was the other one? <laughs> or, or, or can. Can. And I'm mad because I, I worked as a chef for so many years, <laughs> I cannot think of it. Am I going to so, feel stupid? You, you will never see this cooked, frozen, or canned. And the answer is lettuce. Lettuce. Ah. It is never. However, this is an old puzzle I've been using for a while. And just today, someone sent me a picture, I, I, I lie not, of canned Lettuce. It's apparently a bit of a delicacy in Asia. It's pickled. It would have to be, because otherwise you would can cabbage. Yeah, right, right, right. It's, yeah. it's pickled lettuce, and it's in cans. So now I might have to find a new answer for this, but uh, I'm sticking with it anyway.